0: our pen to save as you turn with me to first Timothy first Timothy chapter one let me just give an introduction uh, or rationale as to why we are now going through this series we've just moved from Jonah, and finished Jonah and now we're going into 1 Timothy where uh, basically the message of the book is Paul writing to Timothy for the governance, the, the institution, the organization of the Church of Christ. His basic message is Since you have been saved so what you are saved by grace yes we are all about the gospel you are saved by grace so what what should you do how should you conduct yourself is it imperative for you to join a church how should one conduct themselves in the household of God and what is church organization, and how should we uh, navigate it? So, with those few words, I would like for us to read First Timothy chapter one, and I read from the text of Scripture from the English Standard Version, uh, from verse one to verse ten and spend our time this morning in verses 1 and 2. This is the word of God, dear friends. Take it as it comes to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father And Christ Jesus, our Lord As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia Remain at Ephesus So that you may charge certain persons Not to teach any different doctrine Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, excuse me. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we bow down before you this morning, admitting that without your aid, we cannot understand your word. Admitting our shortcomings in that even as we read your word, the, the treasure trove that it is cannot be exhausted because many are the treasures that are in these pages. We want to ask, oh God, that this morning I would be clear and that I would articulate the truth as it is and pray for my hearers that the spirit of God would grip all of us and that we would be people who are set apart for holy work and to understand that which you want to communicate to us through your word this morning. And we pray for the salvation of souls In this congregation, that if there's anyone who does not know you this morning, that today will be the day of salvation. And I ask, oh God, that you would saturate our hearts with the words of Scripture. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God has saved you. So what? This is the basic message of Paul's first letter to Timothy, his spiritual son, who is the elder of the church in Ephesus. That is why, you know, Paul, after his release from his imprisonment, his first imprisonment, returns from Rome through Crete, leaving Titus there, To appoint elders. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. 1st and 2nd Timothy. Are also part of what is known as. The pastoral epistles. And Paul. On his way from Rome. Comes with Titus. And leaves him in Crete. And he says in that message. To Titus. In the letter to Titus. I have left you in Crete. So that you would appoint elders. That's what he was supposed to do. And then he proceeds to Colossae and comes back again to Ephesus, where he meets up with Timothy. And on leaving to Macedonia, he leaves Timothy in Ephesus. That is why in verse 3, as we have read this morning, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Paul is not simply concerned about conversions, though he was the chief of evangelists. If you aside from Jesus Christ, if you look across Scripture, you would not find a better evangelist than the Apostle Paul. He's concerned about the Church of Christ. Which is why when you read the first letter to Timothy, there is he covers sound doctrine, which is taught in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he, he covers prayer. He also covers salvation in chapter 1. Uh, governance, government or church governance, the offices of elder and deacon in chapter 3. And chapter 4, apostasy. Wandering from the faith or falling away from the faith. In Chapter Five, instructions to the church in general, and Chapter Six, the man of God leading as he's ought to. And Paul is interested in that. In order for the church, uh, sorry, he's interested in the order and the stability of the church. How one ought to conduct themselves in the household of faith. What one is to believe, and what Paul is doing as an apostle. Of Christ Jesus. Is that he's setting the church right. In accordance with the grace given to him by God. And friends it is important. The church must be set right. In accordance with the scripture. That is why there is the radiant cry of the reformation. Semper reformanda. The church reformed is the church reforming. In other words we must grow in grace. We must grow, we must seek to apply the scriptures as they are. We must seek to grow as how the scriptures bring it out. And my prayer, dear friends, that even as we study together through this pastoral epistle, because really, it's not really a pastoral epistle on its own, but I would like to also call it a church epistle. It's for the church. The church ought to know how the church should conduct itself. My prayer is that we as BRBC would grow together in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in holiness, grow in godliness, sound doctrine in prayer to have elders to see the biblical church functioning the way it should be in this church as God would have it in the New Testament as we have read. Well, today we're in verses 1 and 2 And the title of my sermon is An Apostolic Greeting And I want us to see four things In this apostolic greeting First of all, I want us to see the man Secondly, I want us to see the master Who is the Lord Jesus Christ God and thirdly i want us to see the minor which is timothy and lastly i want us to see the mark the mark of an apostolic greeting very well then let us start first with the man it, it reads there in first timothy chapter 1 verse 1 paul paul that's the first thing that we see there paul so we are introduced to the man the Apostle Paul: Any letter must give, oh sorry, any letter must have evidence of an author who is writing it. Here it is the Apostle Paul greeting. We see the man, Paul, being introduced. In other New Testament epistles, we are introduced to the man, for example, in the book of James. We see James one one, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jude we see uh, Jude one one to two, Jude. There's a man, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. First Peter. Chapter 1, we see another apostle, the man, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and so forth, and so forth. So, the man, who was the apostle Paul? Paul, it's important to know the writer of this epistle. A name in Latin, Apollos, meaning little. His name in the Hebrew was Saul. His father was Jewish, who was also a Roman citizen. In the book of Acts, we see that Luke used the name Saul up until Acts 13 verse 9. But after that, he always used Paul. Why? Saul was appropriately used as long as his life and his activities were intimately connected with things Jewish. But when his word, when his word among the Gentiles became prominent, his Gentile name was appropriate. So it's not so much so You hear people say, well, he was Saul, then he got converted and became Paul. No, the, the issue is that he, he was Saul and Paul. But when, when his ministry was vivified to the Gentiles, the name Paul was appropriate. According to a second century writer, the apostle Paul was a short man with small in stature with a bald head and crooked legs, but he was in a good state of body. With eyebrows meeting and a hooked nose. So this was the apostle Paul. Picture him. It's important. Paul. And what was his occupation? Paul was an apostello. He was an he was an apostle. It's written there. Paul, an apostle who was sent forth. And and this carries the thoughts of an official or authoritative sending with appropriate equipment. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he met one of the basic requirements of being an apostle. He saw and met the resurrected Christ in a unique way. Let us turn quickly to uh, uh, Acts chapter 9 and see this evidence in the scriptures. And I'll read from verse 1 to 9. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 to 9 quickly. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, so this is the Apostle Paul, and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, there we go, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what, what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led, him to, they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, listen to the calling of Paul in his life. So, verse 14 to 15. And here he has authority From the chief priest to bind All who call your name But the Lord said to him Go For he is a chosen instrument of mine Who? Paul To carry my name before the Gentiles And kings And the children of Israel Verse 16 For I will show him How much he must suffer For the sake of of my name. That was the the calling of the Apostle Paul. That's how he became an apostle. He met the resurrected Christ. And this is why his, uh, his apostleship is described untimely. Because unlike other apostles, the Apostle Paul So Jesus already ascended into heaven. He was not part of the 12 that had to cast lots in in Acts chapter 1. He came into the game late. The apostle Paul was late, but he wasn't the least. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7 to 8. Then he appeared to James, then, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He was, in a sense, the last one, one of the last apostles to to be appointed, but he wasn't the least because he wrote 13 books of the Bible. And I've omitted Hebrews because Hebrews is not, does not have Pauline authorship. But other people believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. So he wrote. More than any other writer in Scripture. This was the man, Paul. It was the real deal. And when we meditate upon the truth and the history of the Apostle Paul, we we begin to see that Paul didn't contradict Jesus, Paul preached the same message. I like what people other people say, well I don't I don't believe in Paul, I I just believe in Jesus. So when you read the scriptures, just read the gospels, don't read the Pauline letters because Paul contradicted Jesus that is nonsense absolute nonsense the apostle Paul wrote the scriptures he was moved by the spirit of God to write scripture and we must take this as authoritative and not listen to these modern day thinkers who think that they know better than God the apostle Paul wrote scripture the apostle Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ though he was last one of the last apostles to uh, meet jesus to see the resurrected savior he became the most influential more than peter who was there at the crucifixion more than all the others the apostle paul had more influence in fact the apostle paul argue was one of the most influential people in history aside from christ So what is the application? The application is this, dear friends. Paul's writings are the very word of God. If you deny this, you deny the sufficiency of Scripture. Secondly, Paul's letter to Timothy carries weight because it was written by a man chosen of God. And the Bible itself testifies about who the Apostle Paul is. Let us now go to the second point. In the sermon this morning, the master, we just saw the man. Now we see the master, Paul, an apostle of who? Of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. The apostle Paul had a master he was subordinate to. We see that in this concise apostolic greeting, Paul, the man, brings out who his master is. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the command of God, uh, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our hope. From the greeting, you can see that the greeting itself, in apostolic fashion, is packed with theology. And you see that Paul identifies himself with the master, with his master, Christ Jesus and God. Now, even as you see the greeting, why do you think Paul would seemingly make a distinction between Christ and God? Well, the answer is that Paul was a Jehovah's Witnesses' worst nightmare. Paul was Trinitarian in his theology He believed in the triunity of God He believed in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit He believed that there is only one God existing in three persons And one of those distinct persons Is the second person of the Trinity Who is the Lord Jesus Christ His hope Now the question is Why does Paul call God our saviour? Because it says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our saviour, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. We, we should read scripture and, and study, dear friends. Why does Paul call God our saviour? Well, the answer is that clearly the apostle Paul did not contradict his own theology, the theology that he has passed down to him from the Lord Jesus Christ, that God the Father is Savior in a sense because he is elected. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us? So, who is it that has blessed us in Christ? It is the Father. It is God, God the Father. That is why Paul says God is our Savior, because salvation is Trinitarian. If you present, you know, an incom when, when you're explaining the way God intricately designed salvation and you explain it incompletely, you are doing an injustice to salvation. We know that the father elected in eternity past. We know that the son came and died for the elect. We know that the Spirit of God in time, as we are preaching the gospel, as the preaching of of God's word is being done, the Spirit of God convicts sinners and they're made alive in Christ and they're pointed to Christ. And this is what Paul knew and believed. He didn't didn't just know. It it wasn't just a mental assent. He believed this. He saw this. He experienced He says that the same thing in Titus chapter one, verse one to three, Paul, the servant of God and of an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised, before the ages and be, before the ages began and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. By the command of God, our Savior. Titus 1 to 1 to 3. So, dear friends, there's the truth that God, our Savior, saves us through Christ Jesus. There's no one else He saves through. God The Father does not elect upon, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the substitutionary atonement. This means he died in our place. Jesus Christ was the propitiatory sacrifice, which means that he appeased the Father's wrath. Isaiah 53 verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. So, dear friends, God is holy. God will not tolerate sin. We sinned. We fell. Adam fell. So everyone became sinners. And so God was to punish sin. But Christ came and became the propitiation. He is the one who appeased the wrath of God. That is why Jesus is the only one who can save you from sin. Because he is the only one who appeased the wrath of God. You cannot. Neither can your prophet. Neither can your charms. Neither can anything appease God apart from Christ. And and Paul knew this. What does Paul mean when he says... Jesus Christ our hope Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our savior and of Christ Jesus our hope listen to uh, a reformed theologian his name is William Hendrik Hendrickson he says that that Christ is our hope the very foundation our earnest yearning our confident expectation and our patient and our patient waiting for the manifestation of salvation in all its fullness. So, what is he saying? He's saying in the Christian faith, we have no hope but Christ. He is the center centerpiece. We, we cannot hope in ourselves. And this is what Paul is writing to his minor, to his son in the faith. As he's greeting him, he's saying... I am an apostle, but I've I've been chosen by God, our Savior. But uh, in Christ Jesus, who is the centerpiece of Christianity, who is central to everything, he's our hope. Even as you pastor these people in Ephesus, Christ is our hope. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's our only, not just our hope, our only hope in life and death. Dear friends, if you are hoping in any other thing, you are standing on futile. If you are hoping in any other thing in this life, whether it's finances, whether it's your job, whether it's your health, whether it's your money, whether it's just, you know, the fact that you're stubborn and you're patriotic, then you are standing on sinking sands. Christ and Christ alone. When all is said and done, dear friend, listen to me. When all is said and done in this world, our hope is Christ and Christ alone. And Paul highlights this fact that he was a man under command from God. And, and he was to command his son Timothy To say you are also As a result of me being under the command of God You are also under the command I, I, I charge you Timothy Timothy was not to swear from left to right And this is why it's a scandal when servants of God Who have been called specifically For preaching of God's word employ themselves with things which have got nothing to do with the pastoral ministry. It's a scandal. All these false prophets who go around oh you have been called of God and they're not really preaching the gospel, preaching sound doctrine, administering the ordinances Shepherding with fear and trembling, really loving the people. Uh, They're they treating them as projects rather than souls. Say, no, this is my project. I want to build this person so that they can get to a certain level. Paul is saying to Timothy, You are under strict orders, my son. Do not swerve from left to right. The people who are preoccupied with jokes and gimmicks. Paul was a man commanded by God to the mission. He stuck till death, till he was beheaded. Paul was a man who went through it all. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked. He was deserted by friends who loved the world. He was persecuted, arrested, driven out of towns. And this was all because he was called of God. What is the application? The application is to the man. Men, if you desire to be in the pastoral ministry, this is what you are being called to. Secondly, men, if this is your lot in life, then be ready to be unpopular and be ready to die for the truth. Unfortunately, That is the vocation of the pastor. Many see it as a golden chance to fleece the flock. A golden chance to get glory, to get a a podium and start announcing left, right and center, I am this, I am that. But really, our vocation is to die. Let us look at, we've looked at the man, the master, who is God. Now we look at the minor. In verse 2a, there. In fact, let me read again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God and our, and our, God our Savior, and of Jesus our hope, Christ Jesus hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy, who was the recipient of these two New Testament letters, was a son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He joined the Apostle Paul during one of Paul's later missionary journeys. He was probably no older than the late teens, early 20s, when he joined Paul. When people say, well, you can't join the the ministry at two years. That's nonsense. Timothy was a teen going into early age. early, Early adulthood, as it were. And Paul, when he joined Paul, he already distinguished himself as a faithful person and the elders noticed him and Timothy probably heard the gospel uh, you know through uh, Lystra where he was Paul's convert although he was raised by uh, his grandmother and his mother, uh, his mother Eunice his grandmother's name was uh, Lois and they brought him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord they taught him the, the Old Testament scripture. They taught him the law. They taught him the prophets. They taught him every other thing. And so when he met Paul, he was probably converted under Paul's ministry. That's why Paul calls him his true son. Listen to Second Timothy 1.5. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And that Paul calls him a true son, uh, born through the ministry of Paul, Paul using the word technon, which means child, denotes that... Timothy was basically Paul's child. Whom he could pass down the true faith. The true Christian faith. The oracles of God. And the church of Christ. Was to be entrusted to Timothy. Here's a question dear friends. And this is to everyone. Can that be said of you, in terms of character? Can someone point to you and say, I testify that that this one is my true child in the faith. He was born under my ministry and has remained faithfully since. Or oh, can you point to someone and say, this one was converted under my ministry, and even if they weren't converted under your ministry, and they came to church as already converted, but can you point to them as someone you're discipling or depositing the true faith in them? To say, this is my true Child, in a sense. Well, you may be thinking, well, pastor, this doesn't sound right because charismatics uh, abuse my father. They go, my father, my father, or my spiritual son. For, For charismatics, everyone is their son or father. Let me allow John Kelvin to help you. John Kelvin says the the following. God alone is the father of all in faith. Because he regenerates us all by his word. And by the power of his spirit. And because none but he bestows faith. But they whom he graciously pleased to employ as his ministers for that purpose are likewise allowed to share with him in his honor while at the same time he parts with nothing that belongs to himself. Thus God and God alone strictly speaking was Timothy's spiritual father but Paul was God's minister in begetting Timothy lays claim to this title. By what may be called. A subordinate. Right. So the apostle Paul had the right. To call Timothy. His son. To say. This man. I love him. With the love of Christ. He's been converted. Under my ministry. And I'm passing. This very truth. I'm passing the most important thing in my life Which is the oracles of God And the church of God To Him to oversee That's what he's saying Timothy was characterized by Humility, faithfulness Godliness And sound doctrine Can that be said Of you? And I must say, dear friends, as a pastor, just like, you know, just like as a father and mother have labored for their children to go to school and finish and take care of them and clothe them and feed them, the the, the flock under my care. I spend hours, or oh, 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 you spend hours upon hours in prayer for them. You preach your heart out to them. You pass the oracles of God to them and pray that they may keep them. And what do they do sometimes? They fall into scandalous sin and fall away. They disappear from church and never to be seen again. They they slander you as their pastor and elder and talk behind your back. They depart from sound doctrine and chase myths. They depart from the Lord. That's one painful thing about being a pastor. Painful. Backstabbers in ministry. I've seen and interacted with all the pastors gray-haired men who when you ask them about the pastoral ministry for 50 years some of them even break down in tears and say i have seen a lot as i have pastored the flock of christ i've been backstabbed i've had friends I've preached, prayed for particular people, thought that we're on the same wavelength. A year down the line, they're trying to divide the church. Why? Or they become discontented with the church. Somehow, maybe their sin has been called out. Then they start being strange. You ask them, how are you doing? I'm I'm fine. There's a cold shoulder meanwhile the person has already left mentally they've left the church they're just here by body but they are not here the apostle paul did not expect that from timothy his true son and friends let me tell you something pastors true preachers of the gospel would want men like that in the ministry to say if I was to drop dead now will the church be in safe hands but more on that later men some of you want to be elders can you be trusted With handling the word of truth. Can we trust you to preach the word of God? Can you be trusted with standing firm? Do you have a backbone? We we live in a world, in a day when men have no backbone whatsoever. When they're faced with the world, they shrink, they're cowards. They may even appear to say that they, they they stand firm and, you know, I'm courageous. But when faced with an issue, they, they shrink back. No backbone. Timothy was meant to have a backbone. And Paul commanded. Are you a man of integrity? Of holiness? Are you able to say at work to someone... Who is, who is tempting you or to a skirt? No! Away from me. Away from me. Are you, man? Can we leave the church with you? Or when we'll come back, we find that the sheep have run away because you, unquali- you are unqualified to take care of them. Or have abused them because of your character. And your lack of knowledge. Are you able to take care of God's sheep? This is the charge of Timothy. Young Timothy. Charged by an older Paul. Say this is what you're supposed to do. You will have widows in your church. You will have the young you you have the old you have the vulnerable you have no time to be playing games that's what say. being a baby get up and work Oh, that the lord would help us to timothy my true child in the faith let us now finish with the mark verse 2b I'll read the whole text again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of, the, of Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, my true technon, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So this was the mark of an apostolic greeting. The, the, the apostolic greeting always had a salutation. The apostle Paul was both a pastor and a father. He was both courageous and gracious. He would rebuke and comfort. And here he brings words of comfort to his son in the true faith. To say, my child, you have the heaviest calling upon your life. But grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the only letter that has a salutation that Paul has added mercy. Probably to denote that this was, since this was a pastoral letter. To a young man who was to take upon God's work upon his shoulder, that grace, which is reconciliation, or well, unmerited favor, was something that Paul prayed for him as an apostle, but also had mercy, that mercy, that, that Timothy would receive mercy from God and extend mercy to others as he dealt with them in the church. He would experience the mercy of God. That he himself was saved by grace through faith. And that God had mercy and pity upon him as a sinner. And peace, which is reconciliation. Erene in the Greek. From God. The Father. There we go again. He's going back to his triune God theology. Peace from God. Timothy, I am your spiritual father. But I pale in comparison to the heavenly father, the father of lights. Or from whom all good gifts come from. And the greatest gift is Christ. Who saved us from sin. You are not alone. And when he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at the end when he was about to be beheaded, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his will and appearing, preach the word. Preach the word. Do it in season and out of season. Do it in my presence and away from my presence. When I'm here with you and when I'm not with you. When I die, pass it on to other men. This was the greeting of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Packed with truth. with theology with hope starts Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus and he ends grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord dear friends I do pray that even as we start this letter the tone that has been set would help us understand as Paul writes to Timothy. Amen.